0: I'm Eddie Webb.
1: And I'm Chris Spivey.
0: And today we talk about Season 1 of Genreless. Hello and welcome to our wrap-up show of Season 1 of Genreless uh, where we have now totally mastered podcasting and we'll make no more mistakes ever going forward.
1: Whatever. Are we recording right now? Yes. <laughs> ah, sorry. I, I didn't mean to break that, that masterful thing that you just said. I Ooh, our streak lasted
0: two seconds. It was great. <laughs> For a brief moments, we had purity. Yeah.
1: <laughs> if people stick around, it might happen again. We might hit three seconds next time. <laughs> we just expand. Um,
0: no, but it was uh, we we already have plans for season two, and we'll we'll talk about that. But um, as we were uh, putting things together, we realized that it, it would be valuable to kind of have a a wrap up show of of season one to kind of talk about um, both the stuff we picked up from watching these shows, stuff we've we've learned from doing the podcast, some things that people have said to us, you know, fans have talked to us about over the time of doing this, and just kind of reflect on space opera and ends
1: this experiments as it were and how buck rogers is the greatest science fiction show to ever existed and ever will exist
0: that is definitely an opinion you can have
1: i will neither say it is mine or not but it is definitely a statement i have made
0: and <laughs> would either confirm or deny agreeing with the statement <laughs> um uh but uh, one thing i do want to say uh before i get too into this is um we because we were going so long on the Blake 7 episode. Uh, but uh, I really did dig that conversation on uh, Blake 7 uh, because it was, I don't think it's worthwhile for, all, for us to always do like big, super long dives into something like we did with that. But I think doing it once and doing it at the end of the season was actually a really cool way of not only a capstone, but also uh, uh, of really looking into some of the nuances of that show that
1: I, I certainly didn't know. It was definitely interesting, and it was also interesting for me as a as a new podcaster to see how our dynamic had to shift to allow someone else into like that space, mm-hmm. and then to like trying to find all of our own balances while we're on the air recording. It felt almost sort of like live radio for instant.
0: No, definitely. Um, um, <clears> there is one thing I've learned from years doing this is that there's a certain amount of improv in podcasting. Like you can script stuff, and we do have. Not scripts, but we usually have notes as we're we're talk, talking it and prepping for this stuff. But um, don't there,
1: don't don't oversell that. Tell well. All right, let's tell them what our notes are right now. <laughs> our notes right now are the the opening intro that we do every time, and I have put in the list of shows that we talked about this season. That that's our notes. Am I that missing is, something?
0: That is a non-zero amount of notes. <laughs>
1: So when you're selling notes, I want people to understand what notes means.
0: <laughs> to be fair, okay, it's an agenda, really, is what <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, but still, I mean, like, I know uh, when I, after I watch stuff, I mean, even if I don't have notes on the screen, I, when I watch the episodes, I try to, like, you know, keep a few things in mind. It's like, oh, I noticed that, and I want to kind of talk about that like I remember um, – uh, after the, the vampire episode, Buck Rogers, like, I, I have so many thoughts I need to talk to you about this episode because holy shit, this episode. Um, and also, like, uh, even with way back with Star Trek, I actually had notes originally on the document that kind of moved away from that. But there's a, you're right, there's a balance. It's like you have to kind of in- actively listen during uh, the conversation. Uh, you have to also make sure you're filling airtime that's one thing I've learned when I uh, actually studied radio broadcasting is that dead air is the enemy uh, and you have to try to fill it. But if you fill it badly, that's almost as bad. (laughs) So there's points where a tactical silence actually makes sense, but it depends on the kind of radio you're doing and podcasting changes that dynamic a little bit as well. And it's, it's a whole lot. There's a whole psychology around
1: babbling. And it's been fun. And I guess also still more, somewhat interesting is that as a naturally more stoic person who would prefer who likes those silences to try to change some of that and become more engaging for part of the podcast to talk about these things that I love Mm -hmm. and getting a chance to talk about it with someone who is also engaged in the subject, which is a a new experience and one of the reasons I'm glad that we're going to do a second season. Absolutely.
0: Uh, And, um, it's something else, I mean, I think going into it, at least for me, is this always a, a question, Like, right? Is this going to work? Um, you know, it's like we had been chatting yes. as professionals and a little bit as friends prior to this, but that's different from doing a podcast. Something I've learned uh, on like the Onyx Pathcast and other podcasts I've been on is that the dynamic you have in person doesn't always translate well to to in-air chemistry. But, you know, I mean, I, I enjoy these conversations. We both said that this is something that we look forward to when we do these recordings. So, it's certainly that part at least is worse.
1: Uh, Did you like how I purposely made another awkward toilets?
0: Yeah, yeah, thanks. I'm going to have to edit that out now. <laughs> I'm going to leave the part in what I'm saying I have to edit out just so your shame is heard by all <laughs> the audience. But I am going to edit it out. So.
1: Anyone that's met me knows that I can't be shamed.
0: <laughs> Damn it.
1: My plan has failed. So, how about. Well, I think we might have actually talked about before how we came up with the episodes that we chose for that for the first season. But is there anything else extra that we would want to provide for? Because I guess this is more of our uh, sort of our special episode for folks that are really into like the, the nuts and bolts of things.
0: Yeah, no, totally. Um, and, and it's interesting because like uh, there's an interesting balance because right, uh, uh, the structure show we decided early on was that uh, we uh, bounce back and forth between hosting duties. Uh, and, and I absolutely think that's the right way to go with it. But it did not mean that, at least at first, the intent was, okay, the person hosting should be more knowledgeable about the show that they're hosting for. Uh, and then that fell apart right around Farscape, I think, is when that kind of just fell apart. Because I was like, I remember watching Farscape.
1: I, I may have an intimate knowledge of Farscape.
0: <laughs> right. But but just by the rotation, I ended up with hosting that. So it's like, uh, Okay. Um, so we kind of moved uh, away from that, but but there was definitely a, a threat. I don't I don't know if we've talked about this. Originally, it was going to be chronological. I think we moved away from that pretty quick. We decided to move from how these shows compare to each other.
1: Because having Blake Seven fall almost in the middle, or like right after Buck Rogers, did not feel right.
0: Yeah. And um, it was an interesting kind of progression because some of it was intentional, right? Like I did know that um, we wanted to have Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine next to each other. That that was always early on. Um, I knew that we wanted to have Babylon 5 somewhere near Deep Space Nine because it, it, you have to talk about those shows in connection to each other. And then we had this uh, – uh, when we talked about the 70s sci-fi stuff, I was the one that suggested – um, let's put Farscape right after Buck Rogers because I, I made the argument that Farscape feels much more 70s sci-fi than a lot of the other shows. Uh, and what I didn't expect was the themes, like the actual conceit of Farscape was so close to Buck Rogers, I had forgotten how similar they are.
1: <laughs> and it was some, subconscious
0: though. I think it was, right? I think it was the, yeah, it feels like the right show. And then because in my head, I was like, oh, it's kind of 70s. It's like, oh no, because it's the same concept. J- you jerk, of course it feels the same. Uh, but then I wasn't expecting the themes of a totalitarian regime that thread through Farscape really played well with Blake 7 and trying to escape from that and deal with that. Um, because really, again, Farscape was season one is you're escaping from this uh, captain who's trying to hunt them down. And then uh, Blake 7 is like, trying to escape from this captain's of totalitarian thing that's trying to hunt them down. Uh, so uh, it was interesting how some of that was unintentional, but some of it was intentional.
1: All right, I'll stop. It, it, it's, it was a fun gag, but I, w- I will let the gag go. <laughs> <laughs> I, no, but I just really liked how we made it all sort of flow together. Because I knew a lot. I remembered a lot about Farscape and the fight against Krace and trying to escape Krace and then having a lot of sort of their governmental structure be a pressure on the show. Mm-hmm. and I didn't know if you remembered it or not, but I didn't want to tell you because I didn't want to spoil it because I, I knew Blake 7, and that was the underlying current for like yeah. at least most of Blake's, Blake's time on the show.
0: Yeah, and that was uh, – I'm glad you didn't mention it because like I remembered uh, – uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on air, but like, I'd seen the first like two episodes of Blake 7, and I just didn't. It was not that I wasn't into the show. It's just other stuff happened, right? Sometimes you watch a show, and it's like, oh, I like this, but something else occurs, and you forget about it. Um, and so in my head it was like, okay, so it's basically 1984. That's that's the whole show. Um, not realizing that was only really the first two episodes, and then it kind of becomes more or less Farscape. So when I'm watching the other episodes, it's like, oh, this is this is Farscape. Okay, now I get why. So it sometimes it's really fun coming in. I mean, it's fun being the person who knows stuff and go, oh yeah, did you see this part and you see this part? But sometimes it's also fun to be like, well, is, I have no
1: idea what this is. This is cool. <laughs> And the other big part about that, that was like Crichton and Blake are both the keystones that hold the crew together and mm-hmm. everyone around them is generally more competent than they are. Yeah. And like, that was a wonderful parallel to see. I had forgotten that, but then as we we're watching it, I'm like, Oh my God, that's right. While you're like a charismatic lead and you're doing all these things and you're moving the plot and the show along, these people and aliens surrounding you are infinitely better than you in so many other things. But also,
0: it's also weirdly reversed in the sense that Blake starts off as this this, this legend and then the crew starts to realize, oh, he's got feet of clay. He's he's a flawed character and they kind of have to come to terms to that. Um, And then eventually he becomes legend again. Crichton kind of starts into that step where it's like, you know, he's just a, he's a human, whatever the heck that is. I'm this weird guy. to can't do anything. And then over time, they realize his value to the crew. And also on top of that, he looks like the species of people that oppress them. Um, and so, Crichton
1: also sort of becomes a legend towards the end of the show. Right, right. Yeah. So that's so, so, sort of a great reversal arc that sort of intermingles themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Uh, and, uh, so, and it's something about the format of the show that – I'm I was hoping what happened and did happen is that by, by taking these representative episodes, right. Um, we're able to get a sense of the show without necessarily getting into the minutia of the show, because there's tons of great podcasts that do episode by episode reviews. And I, and I enjoy listening to quite a few of them, but there's the, the whole point of the show is you're getting into the weeds, right? You're, you're looking at the very specific details. You're looking at character arcs, and whatnot, but by having these slices, it allows us to more easily see the bigger tropes and the bigger beats and the bigger progressions. And then we could compare those a little more easily. And and so for me, I started to see a little bit of that during our Babylon 5 DS9 discussion, but I think it really clicked. when We had that Buck Rogers, Farscape, Blake 7 progression because I was able to more clearly see, yes, these are all on some level connected shows, even if at a first glance, you wouldn't realize how connected they are. Very true. Uh, so, um, is there anything that you were kind of surprised by during the course of doing this like, in terms of like learning about these shows? Is there anything you learned about the show that you didn't expect or something new you took away from a show that you previously didn't think about?
1: Probably the biggest one's going to be Battlestar Galactica. I mm-hmm. only ever watched that once. Like mm-hmm. when it, as it aired, I watched it and then I moved away from it because something about it didn't sit right with me. I know Mm -hmm. we went into a lot of detail about some of the lack of diversity in casting and things Mm -hmm. like that. But going back and reading through it and then seeing, listening to a few interviews, because well, I don't take notes, I try to absorb media on the side about whatever it is we're going to talk about Mm -hmm. and then sort of let it coalesce in my brain. It's much like my writing process. Mm -hmm. I ingest a lot of information and then I just sort of see what happens. Mm -hmm. So for fans of my writing, there you go. That's the entire (laughs) magic of how it works. (laughs) But for Battlestar Galactica, it was listening to that Katie Sackhoff interview and hearing how young Katie Sackhoff was, and hearing the director's wife is a person that chose who Starbuck would be. Mm-hmm. And knowing that, like, the male director and everything else couldn't see it until someone else came in and said, Hey, you're thinking about this entire thing wrong. That is a person that needs to be Starbuck. Look at the energy, don't look at the act- actor, actress. Yeah. Like, that was a big chunk of it. But then also knowing about since it aired after 9-11, the influence of 9-11 and listening to her her talk about them all sort of touching that sign and thinking about what happened then. Like, Mm -hmm. that was some stuff I didn't know that hits home still. Absolutely. Actually, I want to take a brief digression because some people have actually
0: brought this up. Um, When we talk about the shows, like Chris said, uh, um, we do try to do some research, but it's also going to be kind of, as we remember it, um, and that's kind of the point uh, of this specific show is our memories of these shows, what we can recall of it. Um, sometimes it's kind of not intentionally, but occasionally it's the, I remember reading an interview about this once. We're going to get stuff wrong. And certainly fans have correctly called out some some factual mis- errors we've made. Uh, uh, we apologize for them. We're probably going to make even more going forward. Uh, so, I mean, uh, definitely don't take anything we say as authentic. The gospel more truth. Just, right yeah it just this is what we think is going on uh but i mean that guys back to 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 battlestar because um i knew going in that some of the writers of deep space nine were were frustrated by star trek and ended up writing battlestar galactica what i did not know until after we recorded it is that there was a di- there was a detour into voyager and watching late season Voyager recently new to me shows and then having watched Battlestar Galactica and I was, Battlestar Galactica is basically what if we could do Voyager but better? And I did not see the connection until I it was pointed out to me later. I was like, oh, wish I had mentioned that kind of thing. Because I was like, oh, it's DS9 into Battlestar Galactica. And there's still that there. I mean you still you still see the the resonance and I still stand by some of that was then pushing against Deep Space Nine specifically, but it's much clearer if you look at Voyager because Voyager, as far as you can see, it's the exact same. It's a, it's a, it's a ship trying to get home, and a crew that is allegedly slowly demoralized and decaying. The difference is, is that because Star Trek, you can't really do that because they're supposed to be the ideals of Starfleet, and in Battlestar Galactica, that lasts about 10 seconds before it completely
1: obliterates. I didn't know any of that. But yeah, until- I just found out like last week. So, <laughs> But also, I can say that I have never seen one episode of Voyager. Uh,
0: Voyager is interesting. I, I, I did not propose it because I know really we both love DS9 and DS9 is objectively better Trek. But if you like the weirder slash dumber sides of Star Trek, Voyager embraces that in spades. Because like... Um, Battlestar Galactica is like, you know, what happens if you're being con- relentlessly attacked by a robotic group, which is going out the Borg, and then how does that affect the morale of the crew, and how do they handle themselves? It, it, that's all Battlestar Galactica. Voyager's like, okay, that's all true, but also, what if Tom Paris fell in love with a spaceship? That is absolutely an episode that exists in Voyager. Um, or what would, what if Bolana Torres, the half-Klingon, goes... To the literal Vulcan afterlife and kicks people in the face to rescue her mother's soul. Again, that is an episode from season six. Um, so Voyager's like just doesn't care at some point. It's like we're just gonna do weird <laughs> crap and you're gonna watch it. And it's like, okay, yeah, I'm here for this. I'm here to watch morally compromised characters doing bonker stuff.
1: It's like you're describing the legends of tomorrow. The basic yes, the yes. superhero. I, I use the term superhero very loosely equivalent. That's uh, on the WB or whatever it is. It is basically mm. morally questionable. We'll say hyperhumans because mm-hmm. I think all their superpower people left because they couldn't afford the space effects budget, and they're just <laughs> roaming through space and time, making mistakes and having zany adventures.
0: No, totally. Um, uh, I almost pitched that for, for to consider for season one, but it's not quite space opera. And that was actually another, I think, part of our process was we had to kind of come to terms okay, we're, the point of the show is even though we call it a is it's it's meant to be satirical. You know, we're obviously talking about genre. Um, and then through that we find kind of higher levels of of what's interesting about these shows. But we had to kind of define what, it, what constitutes space opera. Uh, and I think that's why we ended up with OG Star Trek as one because a lot of our modern perceptions of space opera either are connected to or intentional derivations from Star Trek. So a show has to either feel like Star Trek or feel like a refutation of Star Trek. And what I didn't notice until much later was um, the first three shows, we kind of bounce back and forth. Like Each show is either... The like, first show, Star Trek, Babylon 5 is... Very much not Star Trek. D Space Nine is Babylon Five, but in Star Trek, Dark Matter is okay. What if the crew actually were were bad guys? See, to, Star
1: but to expand on your point, I would think one of the things that that I think I might have mentioned is that it is a lot. A lot of it's based on Star Trek, but the other larger portion is also based on Star Wars model of space opera, right? Mm-hmm. Because those two together sort of helped formed. I'm going to say the more Americanized idea of what space opera is.
0: No, and that's why Buck Rogers was good to put kind of near the back half there because Buck Rogers is kind of the intersection of those two competing instincts. hmm No, totally. Um, uh, but I mean, and, and also you can make the argument of like, the, the, unintentionally I think, but like the first half is kind of Star Trek or Star Trek uh, refutation and second half is kind of Star Wars or Star Wars refutation. Um, Blake Seven, again, being kind of an interesting Capstone because it's so distinctly British. It's not either of those things. Blake Seven doesn't really engage with either show's conversations because it's really engaging with Doctor Who
1: and so that was one of the reasons almost from almost from the start, that's why we knew that was going to be the last episode of mm-hmm. the season,
0: yeah, because I mean, it was I was expecting was like, oh, I know there's a lot of production overlap and actor overlap between. Tom Baker era, Dr. Who and like seven, but I was not expecting the amount of nostalgia vibes for a show. I'd never watched before because like, Oh, this feels so much like Tom Baker era Dr. Who. <laughs> Cause you're right. It's, it's, it's both. What if they go to different planets and have different adventures, kind of like Dr. Who, except everyone's kind of a jerk. Uh, <laughs> Which is not true. I mean, the, the, the characters are much more complicated than Doctor Who, but that's also kind of the point, right? Because Doctor Who is meant to be, at least in the 70s, a relatively clear, clearly moral character. Um, and then to have like seven characters that are legitimately saying stuff like, that's a terrible idea. We should just turn around and leave. We should not be part of the adventure. We should just be going. <laughs> that being a valid point.
1: So then, since we didn't play any games during the Blake 7 episode, I thought about it, but I was like, <laughs> come on, we're at an hour and a half now. Right. If you could be one of the characters on Blake 7, who would you be and why? Uh I cannot want to say Avon.
0: Honestly. Um, but it's hard because, like, Blake 7 is a bit like Dark Matter in the sense that each character has clear flaws, but you see all of their viewpoints. Uh, 5 gets a little money on Dark. It takes 5 a while to to, to ramp up. Um, but, I mean, any of those characters, I, I could see myself going, yeah, I've had a day like that. <laughs> Even the computer. But, I mean <laughs> There are points where the computer's just like, "Oh my god, why are you asking me this question?" And I'm like, "I've I've had that email. I know that." <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, how about you? It that that's a hard one. Uh, my my gut would be Avon, but I'm gonna probably say Blake. Okay, because I understand that drive to try to have to bring truth and. Fight against an oppressive regime,
0: mm-hmm.
1: almost at too much of a great cost and expense to yourself and those around you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that makes sense.
1: So, so the other, good. Okay. Out of all the ships that we've seen, which is your favorite ship? Hmm. So, Orac does not count as part of the ship. Damn it! All right. <laughs> um.
0: Ah uh, man, it's, that's hard uh, because I really like the design of the Raza. Uh, uh, I don't know why. Um, it's just a nice balance of cool looking and plausible. Because like I don't, I know I'm going to be burned at the stake by this, but <laughs> I don't like to look at the Enterprise because it, it. Which it's, it's version? Just, well, really any of them, but in particular, I'm thinking about the OG version um, because it's basically – it's a tube and there's a couple things stuck into it and there's a, a plate and a couple of tubes at the end of it and that's it. Um, and I think the only reason why it's so iconic is because it has lasted so long. And so um, the Star Trek ships that deviate from that model are more interesting to me, like uh, that blanking on the one that was actually in D-Space Nine, um, the little warship that got near the end. Oh, I knew it To you
1: said that explicitly. Right, right. The Defiant. Defiant, thank you.
0: Because um, it's basically just, it's a, it's a slab of a ship with a couple of engines stuck on. It's like, well, a warship, that makes sense. You want to have a nice, big, hefty-looking ship. Um, so I've always been kind of meh on Star Trek ship design in general, but particularly the OG Enterprise. Again, just, I don't like the Constitution-class look. Uh, whereas the Raza looks a little more like a ship that makes sense to me, um, but it's still kind of cool-looking. But I don't know if that's my Favorites because I kind of like the neat look of the of Blake's ship, the Liberator. Yeah, because it's that interesting sweet spot of it looks like an it's a cool looking ship, but also I can see exactly what props the BBC department used to make that ship. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've i always, it's pure nostalgia. There's no objective reason for this, but it's that pure nostalgia of, I grew up watching shows like this. And so therefore that kind of
1: extremely low budget vibe appeals to me. Absolutely. Because for me, it's a liberator. That That is my top choice mm-hmm. every time. It's, I like the design of it. I like the, even the base computer that it has is interesting mm-hmm. and sort of that psychological defense that it has for the invaders when they come on the ship. hmm Little touches like that add additional weight to it, while some of the other newer stuff looks more aesthetically pleasing. That just like hits a sweet spot that's hard to describe. Right.
0: I will say runner-up, if we're moving away from the look of the ship, um, is uh, the ship on Varscape, just because the idea of a living ship, which again, the Liberator kind of plays with that space. Um, again, an unintentional connection I didn't think about or even know about when we were doing this. I didn't even uh, think about that. That's brilliant. Right? I, again, it was like, we're geniuses. But we completely missed that point. Um, <laughs> but again, there's that kind of, the idea of a living ship is interesting. But I feel like Farscape digs much more into that concept. Like Seven kind of just touches on it and then moves on. And really kind of ends up uh, uh, putting it onto Aurach. Orac kind of ends up being the center point of that. Whereas Pilot is the center point of of Farscape. And they're both valid things because you have this kind of, character it's a face for it but um, Pilot then ends up getting its own his own arc um, separate from Moya. and so there's a lot of interesting interplay there and the concept of a living ship is interesting but it only works because all the actors completely sell that concept 100% every time it comes up so it's not really the ship it's all the actors recognizing this concept and treating this concept like it's real and valid and present and it would be so, it would be ruined by a lesser cast, frankly.
1: True. One more game, and then I'll okay. let it go. All right. So All right. like it, right. earlier today, just so folks know, me trying to log on and find a headset that worked took three times. So I sort of became like the, the, the threefer for the day. So I won three games. So this is my last game. <laughs> and I'm stealing this from the the Never Say Die cast. It's by Drew Alder. I forgot your last name. But he also does like this great, amazing Doctor Who podcast, and they had me on a year ago. And oh. I found, and I started saw that they're starting a new podcast. They're like four or five episodes in, and it talks about the the eighties films of like kids on bikes. Oh, nice! And they've done like the the Goonies, um, the vampire one, the the Lost Boys, and some mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. So one of the things they do is they have this thing. If you had to pick one character from each show to sort of form a team, who would you choose? Uh. And Go got as we're literally doing a space opera thing it, we're going to take this almost a Star Warsy model mm-hmm. if you had to choose your crew on your ship so like the the captain the pilot the comms person and a, and an engineer or let's find better roles i don't like that what what are five good roles
0: um uh, so we have the captain the pilot i think those are both kind of iconic space opera ship roles um there's usually some form of tactical slash weapons officer common to those. There's usually some kind of engineer. Um, and, and fifth is weird because like comms is only really a codified position in Star Trek and even arguably only really OG Star Trek because later on... Anyone can just hit the button to open frequencies.
1: Let's call it a specialist. That is like whoever okay. you want for like whatever, basically whatever your show, whatever your show genre is. Yeah, your science. That is like your yeah. yeah your specialist will slot into. Okay. All right. Uh, would you like me to make some some music? Like da, 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 da. <laughs>
0: go, God, fill that air quick, quick, quick. Um. So I think for my specialist, I'll take the Android from Dark Matter. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's she's a strong character. Um, she's probably the most competent of most of the equivalent characters. Um, and of course, being a writer like myself, I'm also thinking of like the dramatic potential of that. And I just think like she was a good foil for a lot of interesting drama in Dark Matter what would love to be Um uh, for the uh so you just go to the captain. Um, I would take uh Blake. Um because wow. well I, I am I am surprised by that. I know we've talked about this before in terms of best captain, but in terms of a a person who can um convince a crew to work against their interests to embrace their better nature, it's really Blake or Kirk. Those are two captains who are really good at that. I mean, if I want a make who's good at logistics, then you know we're looking at obviously at very different characters, but I'm thinking just in terms of like, you know, someone who's, who's kind of inspirational and also can uh, encourage people more of an emotional leader than a, a mental leader. Cause two is a really good tactical mental leader, right? Like she's really good at making concrete decisions. I won't say plans, but I mean she's good at making concrete decisions and making hard decisions. Blake is much more of an emotional I'm encouraging you to do the right thing. Uh, so I'll think that for my my captain. Um, tactical, uh, I would say, Wilma from Buck Rogers, even though she's written pretty badly late season one, early season one, she's actually looks, she's, she's written as a pretty good tactical person. uh so i I thank her for that. Um, pilots uh, that's a good question. um probably uh Sulu from OG Star Trek. Oh, very nice and uh what was the last one i've already forgotten uh
1: engineer engineer uh well or if you that. look at our note sheet i did make some quick bullet points of this ah yeah i haven't seen that part um uh, let's
0: see engineer uh i would say avon i mean he's not quite in that space but he's kind of in that space uh, as you know i take it back um no, I was going to say pilot, but that's the that same problem. It's not quite in that space. Uh, you know, I honestly don't know. I honestly not sure who I, I fit in that slot. Um, I mean, because it's easy to go for Scotty, but I don't know if... I, don't, I actually don't know if that's a good choice because Scotty has been canonically proven to lie about his repair estimates. <laughs> and I don't want that in an engineer. Um <laughs> So I'll I'll stick with Avon. I'll just do that for now.
1: Very cool. How about you? Uh, For my captain, this will probably surprise no one. I'm going to still stick with Sheridan. Sure. Because while Sheridan doesn't have the ability to convince everyone how Blake does, I like that Sheridan sort of is tactical. He focuses more on the intellectual aspects of it and understands that there are a lot of hard decisions that have to be made, and he's willing to make them. So that was really important for me. For my, my pilot, it's gonna be uh Jenna from Blake Seven, who is supposedly like one of the best pilots in the galaxy. She's a smuggler, so she knows how to get in mm. and out of all those great places. Okay. Tactics is harder. Like that is the one that, that has me, and I'm stuck between Kira or two, because I think both of those would be exceptional in tactics.
0: Uh and, and for pretty similar
1: reasons when you put it that way.
0: Um, because both are willing to basically use you know asymmetrical warfare tactics they're both good at
1: asymmetrical warfare uh, so i'm i'm going to go kira simply because my engineer is going to be 6 and i want to like get a little show variation mm. because yeah 6 is brilliant and i while well, a lot of my crew is going to be somewhat dour and serious for pl- For I want someone that can also bring a little comedy and levity at the same time.
0: And six is good at
1: that. Yeah. And I think you've already sort of got the general vibe of what MySpace operation was on this so far. (laughs) (laughs) So my last one is going to be Odo.
0: Okay. And it's it's funny because like, you're right. um, You went for a crew that's kind of like, Almost gritty, not quite, but close to kind of you know, serious, emotional. We're gonna have strong, compelling, hard decisions. I find I'm like, we're gonna have wacky adventures, <laughs> <laughs> but yet you do advocate a Buck Rogers is the best show, which is interesting to me.
1: <laughs> well, my backup crew is totally different. Like my backup captain is Cisco, my backup pilot is Wilma. Mm-hmm. For tactics, it's Avon. Mm-hmm. engineering it's gonna be scotty because come on right and my specialist is gonna be wharf like that is my my backup slightly different genre of show
0: and and that and what's what that's telling me is that that's a show that's gonna get into fights slightly they're constantly punch above their weight class it's like we're gonna have a tiny little ship and we're gonna pick fights with ships that are much bigger and somehow still survive
1: yep <laughs> <laughs> so like a Stuck between those two different shows, much like in writing, I've got these two brilliant ideas. Which one should we go with? Right. Uh, and my mind is always, can we stick them
0: together? And usually the answer is, no, that's a terrible idea. You should never do that. But sometimes it works. Yeah, you know, Sometimes you can put dogs in D&D and make it work.
1: No, you can't. Uh, I actually was <laughs> recommending Pugmire to someone recently. They were like, so if your dog, because they didn't an, an ask, an ask me anything. If your dog um, was going to play a game, what would your dog play? Pugmire, come on. Like, <laughs> Everyone should be playing Pugmire. Dogs and cats living together. It doesn't matter. They should all be playing it.
0: No, Thank you. I appreciate that. So I'm curious um, as we're kind of wrapping this up before we move into uh, the season
1: two, which we
0: we're putting off like it's a bigger reveal than we talked about the last episode, but
1: whatever. <laughs> um, we're professionals. We've mastered right. all aspects of podcasting.
0: Uh, is there anything about now that we've looked at these shows, anything about space opera that's a recent revelation to you? Is there anything you look at these like, oh, now that I look at these in contexts, I didn't notice this before?
1: Not to sound uh, egotistical, but not really. Like, okay. I enjoy space opera, but my preferred science fiction is more of hard science fiction. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, I'm going to go on a slight sidestep here. Sure. For instance, my, Jill and I were watching Star Trek. Wow, I'm losing my ability to remember things now. Discovery. Now I, thank you. Discovery last night. And I remember reading a lot of people complaining that Discovery is too much like magic, how it transverses the universe. Mm-hmm. But all space opera is fantasy in space. Right? Like, tell me one, how does the Star Trek engine work? You can say dilithium crystals, but what is a dilithium crystal? Right. Like, why does it allow it to travel that far? How much air do they have on the ship? Like, these are all things that are just sort of hand waved away, mm-hmm. and that isn't something that jumps out at me. I like something that is much like my cruise My preferred crew is more gritty. I like my things sort of more based in reality and solid. Mm-hmm. So you're much more someone
0: who gravitates, like, say, the Expanse. Yes, um, and that's interesting to me because, like, I certainly don't mind hard sci-fi. But also I am someone that like, you know what? I don't really want to know how the gravity works on the ship. I just want my actors to stand on a floor. That just makes it easier for me. Uh, But I mean, one thing that I uh, had noticed kind of going through this is that there's this canard, I think that um, a lot of space opera ultimately looks like Star Trek. Um, And I think, the intersection of this conversation happening relative recently would have been the Orville. And the Orville is so clearly a, was meant to be a parody, but is clearly as it evolved a retread of next generation. These are people who watch next generation. They wanted to do a show like next generation. Um, and it's kind of a shame because uh, both bits of the show are done better by next generation or by lower decks which came out later. Um, so I, I think it never quite found it, its footing, but it brought up the conversation like, well, of course it looks like Star Trek because all shows are also Star Trek or trying to do something different with Star Trek. And what surprised me was there's actually a pretty strong vein of stuff that doesn't really look like Star Trek. Uh, And it goes back pretty far. Like you said, uh, um, I don't think I was consciously thinking about the Star Wars connection to this vein of space opera. And yet when you're looking at Buck Rogers and Farscape and like seven and even to a degree Battlestar Galactica, um, that sense of it, it, this is just how it is, it, you know, and, and we're just, there isn't, this isn't about large organizations having huge battles in space. This is about a small group of people just trying to get by and just trying to do a thing, do the right thing sometimes, but sometimes just do a thing. And that's a separately distinct vein that equally gets eclipsed by Star Wars, but I don't think there's enough discussion around how much Star Wars impacts that Because there's Star Trek, and then there's Star Trek reputation and there's Star Wars, and then people kind of stop there. Uh, so it, it was interesting to me to kind of see, oh, there's, I, I really dig this, and in my mind, it's, it's kind of that 70s, like some start, Buck, I mentioned that, like you know, Buck Rogers kind of feels like Farscape, but I think it's really you're right that Star Wars is kind of the genesis of that. We're more explicitly science fantasy.
1: So then if you had to choose between Star Trek and Star Wars as sort of like your baseline, and I'm gonna assume baseline also means like your preferred one to run with, which would it be?
0: I still think it's gonna be Star Trek. Um because uh, so, to explain this answer, I'm going to give you a historic history lesson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, the idea of hard sci fi uh, uh, and really all of our science fiction stems from kind of our 20s, 30s, 40s, you know, that kind of pulp era magazine things. What we looked at actually in our DS9 episode it's one of the reasons why that, one of the many reasons why that episode at season six of DS9 is so powerful is because it's also talking about the genesis of the genre the show is set in. Um, And then uh, it kind of bifurcates into science fiction that tries to have distinct rules, a.k.a. science and science fiction that doesn't care about those rules, a.k.a. pulp sci-fi. And then really it kind of gets fossilized between 61 and 77 between Star Trek and Star Wars. But Star Trek, like you say, is not hard sci-fi. So we develop in the 80s, a third vein of what we now call hard sci-fi which is science fiction that tries to actually be objective as close to scientific as we can understand it at the time of the writer is making the, the material so star trek always kind of floats between those two and i think over time star trek has proven that it is wide enough that it can encompass both like i said Voyager is very much in the science fantasy vein, whereas Deep Space Nine is much more the military sci-fi, which tends to lean harder as a general rule. But that being said, I think recent Star Wars is also opening that up now. Like The Mandalorian is different from the core Star Wars movies while still feeling like Star Wars. It's moving into the Western genre. But also it's saying, okay, there's a whole room for Exploring the mercenaries of this world, and to a degree, uh, how conflicts, you know, physical conflicts look, and how crime looks in this world. It's not this utopia of of uh, democracy will always win out over autocracy, but rather it's like okay, sometimes people just need to get credits to survive, and this is what they look like too. Um, you know, uh, the Bad Batch is actually a pretty good of what it's like to. Beyond the outs from the autocracy you previously served. Um, and so Star Wars is starting to open those gates up more and, and, and widen the gap. So I think that we're now reaching a point where Star Trek and Star Wars actually overlap because like you mentioned, Discovery is also moving more explicitly into science fantasy. So I think tonally they're moving closer to each other. And even with like Star Trek Prodigy, um, Star Trek Prodigy looks a lot like Dark Matter with kids, <laughs> or even Farscape with kids, um, because it's a ship that it's not living, but it's controlled by a hologram you know, of, of Janeway, and they go off and have strange adventures in Delta Quadrant.
1: But didn't Abrams start that shift for with Star Wars? Oh, sorry, Star Trek moving closer to Star Wars with the reboot of Star Trek.
0: I think that's, a, I think it's a really fair assessment. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why initially a lot of fans were uh, very down on those movies. I was among them. I mean, I have my issues with those movies,
1: which is why I really like that first movie a lot.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, th- I think that now that I have gone back and watched it, uh, I think there's more there than I originally saw. Uh, because also, if you compare it to like some of the original Star Trek movies, what they thought Star Trek represented, like the very first Star Trek motion picture is not good.
1: It, it, it's dull.
0: It's slow. It's boring. It's live.
1: Talking what do you other. mean? It, there's a 40-minute tracking shot of the ship.
0: Oh, my God. What else do you
1: need? If you come to Star Trek, you don't want to see people. You don't want plot. You just want a slow camera going around the Enterprise for 40, 50 minutes in a 10 minutes <laughs> a movie. <laughs>
0: You're not wrong, honestly. That is a certain amount of Star Trek. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to deny that. Uh, But, I mean, I don't know. Um, I I think really my answer is I have been a Star Trek fan longer than I have been a Star Wars fan. And actually, okay, I'm going to digress again. Fandom is dumb, and I want to talk about that for a second. Always. Uh, uh, Because we have this weird, toxic perception of fandom. And it's so internalized to some of them because like, I have said to myself unironically, I'm not really a Star Wars fan. I just said it just now. It's like I'm more of a Star Trek fan than a Star Wars fan. I have watched every Star Wars film. I have watched every Star Wars live action television show. I have watched dozens of episodes of Star Wars cartoons. I have watched a disturbing amount of Star Wars video. I, have, I own easily 5,000 pages of Star Wars comics in digital form. And yet I'm still telling myself, I'm not really a Star Wars fan. How can I reconcile these concepts, right? Um, And Star Trek, I've watched hundreds of episodes of Star Trek, many of them a couple times. I own, I'm looking over my right now, and I can see I own like 15, 20 novels of Star Trek. Uh, So my consumption of both are about equal.
1: But that's why I said, which is your preferred? Because everyone has a preference for something they like better. You can, you can love both things, but at the end of the day, most people are going to like one thing just a little bit better.
0: Right. Um, and I, 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 so, I mean, and that's fair, but I I didn't want to put that caveat out there because so often that conversation becomes Star Trek versus Star Wars. It's like, no, we're really talking about, I love both. But if like I had a, hour to kill and I had to spin up an episode of Mandalorian or an episode of Star know I mean, that's a good bad sound because at this point I probably watched Mandalorian um, but I mean in general I probably I, I, I self identify more as a Star Trek fan than I self identify as a Star Wars fan and I think that shapes the kind of shows I like
1: yeah but see it's that's the, even in our channel when we're discussing something someone made a comment like don't do that don't do that do this and one of the things I want to point it's not either or it's and Right, like that is so important because all of these things helped shape. I'm going to use myself as like a broad terminology shaped us Mm -hmm. as people for like the shows that we like, the media that we engage with. It takes all of those different things to help build the next thing because each one has little bits and pieces of something that resonates with someone to help create the next thing that may be like the groundbreaker that everyone gets into. But Mm -hmm. there's always a preference, like, I like. I like Star Wars more than I like Star Trek. That is mm-hmm. just my gulf because a lot of what Star Wars' initial concepts are resonates stronger with me than what I've seen for Star Trek. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I've watched all of Deep Space Nine multiple times. I'm watching Discovery. Uh, I've see, now seen some OG, more OG Star, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not watching Picard, though. <laughs>
0: Honestly, yeah. If you don't have a strong emotional connection to Next Generation, don't watch Picard. I completely agree with you because because it, it's it's so explicitly um, the epilogue to Next Generation. And I, I, it's funny because like I've seen people like, oh, I don't like Picard." It's like, did you like watch Generations? Like, not really. It's like, well, there you go. It's, it's it's again to like the Mandalorian. If you don't have a connection to that particular armor look from watching Star Wars movies, you may not really get into the Mandalorian initially.
1: Like, I really dig the Mandalorian. hmm Because I, I had, like, that thing for the armor based on the movie. I never mm-hmm. had a big love of Boba Fett because he didn't. As I want more plot and interaction with the character before I, like, glom all of my joy onto them. Right, but exactly. But the aesthetic and look was also reminiscent of the, Ameri- the Americans labeled, like, the man with no name from, like, yep. Clint Eastwood. And like, mm-hmm. he sort of has that half cape thing going on and all that comes from there, which resonates with something else that I like. So it sort of got me into it.
0: Yep. No, totally. It is so unabashedly a spaghetti Western. And I'm glad that so many parts of Star Wars kind of dance with that. And then the main is like, no, this is, it's a Western. And more specifically, it is a Western through the lens of samurai films because it's also so... Obviously, Lone Wolf and Cub. And again, I also love that
1: too. But now, isn't it interesting as we're talking about these two shows that both of their origins were basically pitched almost as, like for Star Trek, a wagon train in space. Mm -hmm. Now, for Star Wars, it's the spaghetti western slash samurai films in space. Yep. And how those origin points are there.
0: I mean, look at Darth Vader. You can see the samurai influence so clearly. Mm -hmm. Just the look of him. So yeah, so um, what I'm hearing is at some point in time we should do westerns.
1: <laughs> that that was high on the list, but as I recently just did a book about westerns, I, I fear I may go on a, and on. Need, need a minute?
0: Yeah. Um, so actually, uh, uh, let's let's talk a little bit more about season two. Uh, we got about ten minutes left. Um, as we mentioned, we're going to do mecha anime, and we kind of.
1: H- that was after much debate, though, because we put up a poll for a while, right? And we got some feedback and we got suggestions for other things, <laughs> and we debated internally amongst ourselves about two or three different things. But in the end, we kept coming back to mecha anime, and we sort of expanded out from just doing like a ninety slice <laughs> to a larger piece,
0: right? Because um, I don't want to go into uh, uh, the shows specifically shows but like when we we, when we did the 90s anime um, we realized that in my head it seemed like we got like five shows and that was it but when we actually started listing them out there were lots there's lots of shows that did come over to the US during that decade uh, and where certain anime fell on the scale became a little bit of a debate um, but like Chris said uh, we realized that we were both gravitating towards uh, mecha anime and then it became okay well then we have to kind of um, probably talk about the 80s predecessors that made mecha anime popular to the 90s and also then it got to 2000 and past 2000s. Okay, so the, the decade thing is gone. Now we're just, we're just looking at mecha anime, and specifically mecha anime as it slowly came into uh, the American consciousness. Uh, so we're, we're as I was kind of, planning and help we were, we were both planning about it but as I was, one of the parts of my part of the planning was i was looking at the original releases and then i changed it to the u.s release because those are different numbers um and it kind of bounces back and forth a bit but certainly um there's kind of the rough there was the 80s and then there was the earth late 80s, early 90s, and then there was the late 90s, 2000s. So We could also deli- talk
1: a little bit about the 70s, though, because there were a few in the 70s.
0: Right. Um, which... uh, it, because well, shows that were started in the 70s in Japan, but didn't make it... Like uh, One show that we're not going to do, um, which is the original um, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, was like 79 in Japan, but did not get a US release until like 2005 or something. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: so th- there's an interesting how this stuff connects uh, from its uh, the original cartoons and then how we as Americans got them and how they connected in our head that way. Uh, so we're going to be looking at some cartoons that came out pretty late and were kind of deviations from the giant robot con- concepts and how we got them in different form. And then that led to a backwards look into... Uh, uh, stuff that was a little more earlier in Japanese history, but then got re-released and reimagines. So, so there's there's a lot of context here. And as we mentioned, I mentioned last episode, we're not going to do too much into um, the Japanese cultural context because we just are not. That's not qualified. that's not our
1: backgrounds, and that's not who we are.
0: So instead, we're going to be talking definitely from perspective of two gentlemen of a certain age uh, <laughs> who grew up uh, with these things, both uh, stuff that hits. Um, Te- no, wide-stream television, uh, 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 serialized television, but also you know with that awkward stage where the only way you can get this stuff is through shady fan-dub VHS tapes um, and then uh, to the uh, um, uh, Cartoon, Cartoon Network releases uh, when they did their late anime dubs. So there, there, there's going to be an interesting kind of progression through that. And I'm hoping that as we go through, uh, we'll start to find the kind of threads of, of what makes... Giant robots punching each other, interesting.
1: And out of the massive list of them that we came up with, it was very hard to try to narrow them down. Even mm-hmm. now it's sort of an ongoing thing. We can just add one more in. No, let's <laughs> let's not do that. We could have multiple seasons of giant mecha anime that sort right. of made its way over to the US. Mm-hmm. And then and we could even potentially talk about if we were to do another season of it, talk about how that transfused into Transformers and GoBots.
0: Right. I, I specifically have not been mentioning uh, Transformers because that's such a weird sidestep to all of this.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: um, and of course, i as a huge Transformers fan, I could, we could do a whole season on just the different Transformers versions because I literally own like eight different seasons of Transformers. Uh, so, I mean, there's a whole lot on to top about that. But you're right. I mean, I, I think that uh, there is much like we have a soap opera right there. There are different subgenres and threads, the more you dig in, the more connections you see, and also the more differences you see. And it's something that we talked about with season one is I came in with space opera. Oh, it's a pretty clearly known concept. And then as we dug through realized it's actually a pretty interesting, muddy, complex field to 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 move through. And I think we'll see the same thing here. I think we'll see that there's a We had this idea of, okay, a person is piloting a robot, and that is a thing that happens, and that's a pretty well-established set of tropes, and that's not really true. I think there's a lot of diversity and complexity and nuance. Maybe not within the show themselves, but like in terms of a higher-level genre exploration, Uh, because some of these shows are really just giant robots punching each other, which is great, but... (laughs) not
1: complicated and one of the other big things that'll be a little bit of a difference is instead of focusing on we say three shows mind you this season's almost like four shows each time we're going to be doing more shows from the anime simply because a lot of them are about 20 something minutes and so we're going to maybe doing about five or six shows per series right yeah we're trying to shoot for about
0: two to three hours of representative TV each time. That's kind of our new reframed goal. We'll see how many episodes of this podcast that lasts for. Um, I do know that, uh, spoiler minor spoiler but there's going to be one point where we're completely blowing out of the water, but it's for a good cause. Um, we're going to make you watch a lot more shows, but there's a reason. <laughs> um, and then also, I think the other thing is uh, we are going to go weekly. Uh, we decided we're going to do that for starting season two. So two weeks after this episode drops, we will then move to a weekly schedule. Uh, so you have time to catch well, up on the first assignment. Maybe. Well, maybe?
1: Well, well okay. wait, wait for it. Wait for it. Maybe we do the Blake seven episode. When it drops, they get this the following week and then they get the next one, the following week. Or okay, that, that be, might... be too groundbreaking for folks.
0: Uh, well, I mean, I think, I think I, I, think I have a, a, a last speechless episode. I need to sneak in there too. Ah,
1: no worries. If people aren't li- aren't listening to speechless, they should be checking it out. You've inspired me to do to want to do my own now, but Good. I, I don't have time, but I really, really want <laughs> I, I don't, seriously. Like I am fortunate enough that Eddie is willing to readjust his schedule to meet my hectic schedule to be able to do this. <laughs> but I really want to do one on Blue Marvel because Blue Marvel is a character that's incredibly important to me.
0: I, I really want to hear that because I, I, I know very little about that character. So I definitely would like to love to hear that whenever you get time to do that. Uh, but anyway, uh, so um, regardless of when this drops, because again, we are master podcasters and have this all scheduled now. Um, let's talk about people's homework for the first episode of season two. Do we want to tell them? Yeah. I mean, they have to watch the shows before they can listen to the episode. I
1: think they should learn psychic powers and be able to predict the future.
0: They should become a new type. And, be, and
1: spontaneously manifest <laughs> yeah.
0: through their use of military combat in a
1: giant robot. <laughs> All right. Since that is a lot to ask. <laughs> the, the first episode of season two, this is probably going to shock a lot of folks, but as this was a groundbreaking moment for me personally watching television that I would run home to every day after school to watch or in Alabama when they started airing it at 5 in the morning, I would wake up at 5 in the morning to watch. To then have 30 minutes of nothing to then get ready to go to school. It's going to be Robotech Mm -hmm. from 1985, which is currently on Funimation. And the episodes we're doing for Season 1 are going to be Episode 1, Booby Trap, Episode 3, Space Fold, Episode 11, First Contact, Episode 18, Farewell, Big Brother. Episode 29, Robotech Masters. And lastly, Mm -hmm. episode 36, To the Stars.
0: Uh, uh, Just a quick note. Um, Because of the timing of these episodes, at this moment, they're available at Funimation. As we were recording, right before we started recording, um, they announced that uh, they are migrating all of their material to Crunchyroll. Ah, Um, so right now it seems like it will be for at least some time on both services, but Funimation will stop adding new content. And they've also heavily encouraged people to stop, to stop their subscription on Funimation and move it to Crunchyroll. So I do not know if it will be on Funimation at the time it's theirs. So double, you may want to cross check with Crunchyroll, make sure it hasn't migrated over there since then. Um, but other than that, uh, Oh, the other piece is, um, a slight spoiler for what's coming ahead, but uh, we'll be doing more Robotech in multiple episodes because Robotech is a special, interesting beast. It's yes. really kind of three shows jammed in one. So we're going to um, be spending some time with Robotech. So when you find a Robotech source, just just live in that space for a while because we're going to be there a bit.
1: We'll, we'll break it down at the start mm-hmm. of season two about how all that's going to work out.
0: Right. But just want to be prepared. This is not going to be a quick dip in. You know, you learn to love Robotech. <laughs>
1: Because <laughs> I, I will say, as a creator, one of the one of the few IPs I would kill for is to be able to have Robotech and create in that space. Oh yeah, that would be so amazing! Uh, and actually, uh,
0: recently that's been f- freed up and moved around recently because uh, the, the the stranglehold in the RPG space at least has been released.
1: Oh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about well not just <laughs> the RPG, but about Harmony Gold next episode. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs>
0: Um but in the meantime, um where could people find you online if they want to talk to you about Robotech or space opera?
1: You can find me at darker underscore hue on Twitter. You can also jump to the Discord. And if you're feeling super adventurous, sometimes I'm even in the Onyx Path Discord. Yeah. It's it's awesome. Um What about you, Eddie?
0: You can find me on Twitter at Pugsteady, which is P-U-G-S-T-E-A-D-Y. You can find my website at Pugsteady.com, and you can find me in both of those Discords as well. Uh, And I know we haven't said enough, but since we did talk about Westerns, um, if you do take Westerns, definitely pick up Haunted West. It is a fantastic book full of amazing, amazing detail. And from what I've been seeing on the Darker You Discord, people are having a lot of fun playing it, so definitely go check
1: out Haunted West. It is well worth your time. I appreciate that. I tried to make the the game engine a lot more fun and a lot more pulpy for folks that wanted to do it like that too. Mm -hmm. And I I think, I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it.
0: Uh, So with that, um, thank you all for listening and we will see you in season two with Robotech.
1: Catch you on the flip side.